0: A roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business.
1: Hello and welcome to this edition of Global Business. I'm Michelle Vandenberg coming up on the program. China will see more opportunities than challenges in 2024, official from the Central, according to the official from the Central Economic Work Conference. China unveils new regulations for non-bank payment institutions to safeguard users' rights. And after 45 years of China's reform and opening up, we look at its achievements. China held its annual Central Economic Work Conference last week, setting the goals for the next year. According to a detailed readout, the Central Finance Office said the country is seeing more opportunities than challenges in 2024. The favorable conditions are stronger than unfavorable factors, and macroeconomic policies will further promote the growth, including issuing additional one trillion yuan of government bonds. And breakthroughs in artificial intelligence, commercial aerospace, and quantum technology are accelerating the transformation of production and consumption, offering new opportunities for the economy. After a bumpy 2023, there are high expectations for China's economic recovery in 2024. In the wake of the agenda-setting Central Economic Work Conference, our reporter Timothy Pope sat down with Bruce Pong, chief economist at the global real estate services company JLL Greater China, to get his take on how the country's challenges can be met.
0: How important is this year's uh, Central Economic Work Conference in really setting the tone for 2024? Yes, in terms of
2: the external environment, actually, the recent data shows the potential risks of slowdown in the global economy, as well as in many um, uh, macroeconomies. The uh, softening external demand actually isn't completely available as posed challenging for China, grows momentum, and it's worth to be addressed and responded to in the top level meeting. And domestic-wise, the market expected some pro-growth policies to quicken bare foods, which has not yet been effectively translated into near-term growth due to the uh, constrained policy transmission and business confidence. And economies still the, the facing some structural issues, together with uh, local government debt risk uh, distress in the housing market, etc. So a flurry of supportive measures have proven uh, mostly beneficial. Raising some pressures on authorities to uh, roll out more stimulus. So, uh, my opinion is that the work conference reaffirms the importance and lays a concrete foundation of stabilizing the expectations and uh, shoring up
0: confidence. You talked about effective transmission of policy. Uh, how much new policy and how much new stimulus is the economy uh, going to need?
2: First, there will be supportive measures at all fronts and pragmatic strategies to revive recovery and uh, to re-engine growth for China, together with solid progress in uh, high quality development. The second is that the policymakers pledge to boost domestic demands and restore the business confidence to take steps to reorient um, the economy towards household consumptions and market-oriented uh, allocation uh, of resources. And the third one is that the central governments not only recognize the achievement and momentum of China's economy, but also identify some specific issues and unfavorable factors and challenges to tackle.
0: The property sector is obviously a major area of concern and has been for a while. What can be done there uh, both to to promote the sector as a whole, but also just to bring home buyers back to the market? Uh, is this an issue of confidence, uh, one of affordability, or is it a, a combination of factors?
2: Uh, I think the top priority would be to break the potential virtual uh, cycle, and, and cycle and downward cycle. And some argue that ensuring the delivery of residential buildings is one of the top priorities, but I don't agree because it's not only priority. Uh, the language on housing for the central uh, economic conference Conference was a little change from previous statements. So the key will be to better implementations and executions of existing policies for the property sector uh, to break the potential vicious cycles, not introducing new remedies.
0: And uh, what's your outlook for uh, the Chinese economy in 2024?
2: There will be two uh, major uh, uh, growth drivers for 2024. First will be uh, making use of policy rooms and second will be uh, uh, a synergy between consumption and, and investment, as mentioned by the World Conference, so that there will be better co- uh, collaborations and a strong synergy across different policies, including physical, monetary, science, technology, industrial policies, etc., among others, and uh, and, and also uh, strengthened innovations and coordination of policy tools uh, could also be seen, which are positive to stabilizing expectations sentiment to promote the transition of growth model and structural adjustments. And uh, demand, especially uh, the mass demand, is key. So consumption and investments are the two wings of China's growth. And I think the the, the virtuous cycle, the positive effect of both uh, investments and consumptions and and, and could also uh, be a very important catalyst to further boost China's growth.
1: Scientific and technological innovation will drive the modernization of China's industrial system. That's one of the nine priorities listed by the Central Economic Work Conference. The meeting said industrial innovation will be driven by scientific and technological innovation. Disruptive and frontier technologies are expected to catalyze new industries, new business models, and inject fresh fuel into the economic engine. The government will mobilize resources nationwide to implement action plans for key industrial chains in the manufacturing sector and strengthen China's industrial reliance and security. China will strive to develop emerging strategic industries such as biomanufacturing, commercial aerospace, low altitude economy and become the front runner in quantum computing and bioscience. Enterprises' principal role in sci-tech innovation will be further enhanced. The government will continue to encourage investment in startups and equity investments. Now for more discussions on China's economy, we're joined by Dr. Le Xia, Asia Chief Economist at BBVA, Academic Committee Member of the IFF. Uh, Dr. Uh, Xia, thank you so much for joining us. So in your view, uh, what strategies can be employed to advance the extension um, of technological innovation to the forefront um, of industrial chains and accelerate the development of new mechanisms uh, for integrating innovation and industrial chains?
3: Uh, Yes, thank you for having me here. Uh, I think uh, the strategy can be uh, quite different, they can all lead to the success but there's some important principles we must to abide by The first of all, I think uh, it is important to give enough incentives uh, for these uh, uh, inventors, uh, the people they take the lead of this uh, uh, innovation uh, of course mostly will come from this economic side and secondly, I think uh, according to the past uh, cases I think it is more effective for uh, these uh, uh, firms, the enterprises t- who take the lead of this kind of the innovation, maybe they can form some groups of uh, innovation and then they can include other resources from the universities or from the society. So it's important to ask all these uh, firms because they are close to the market. Uh, they can make the very effective and efficient innovation. The last but not least, I think the uh, government can play a very important role. But I don't suggest the government that they make uh, the decision, make their choice too early. They can facilitate the competition of the different uh, groups, of different uh, uh, enterprises. And then at some stage, they can uh, make their decision to, to choose some champion. I think that would be very effective for this uh, uh, innovation strategy.
1: Yeah, And regarding the effective transformation and uh, the widespread application of technological in- uh, achievements, how do you be- believe finance, particularly entrepreneurship investment and equity investments, uh, should be leveraged to facilitate in- innovation and development in the field of technology?
3: Yes, I think uh, finance is very important for this uh, innovation process because uh, through the finance, you will share all these risks for different people. Uh, Some people, they are willing to take the risk. Some people, uh, they can take the risk. They will have the bigger share in this uh, innovation process. That's why we need to have this uh, very uh, competitive uh, financial sector to support this uh, innovation process. Not only for this uh, equity and uh, bond financing, we also need to have this uh, private equity and VC, venture capital sectors. Uh, they all belong to the big financial sectors. I think they all play a very important role to facilitate uh, this uh, innovation process. You know, innovation is uh, very risky process many people they cannot succeed in this process but when you have these uh, uh, very competitive uh, finance sectors, uh, they can provide a lot of support for this uh, innovation process. So finance is very important for this uh, innovation process.
1: Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for your insights, Dr. Sa. Please stay with us for more discussions uh, very shortly. New rules for the supervision and regulation on non-bank payment institutions in China were announced this morning. The rules will take effect on May 1st, 2024. They focus on four aspects, clarifying the definition and establishment permit of non-bank payment institutions, improving payment business rules, protecting the legitimate rights and interests of users, and clarifying regulatory responsibilities and legal responsibilities. The annual transaction volume of non-bank payment institutions currently exceeds 1 trillion yuan, around 140 billion U.S. dollars. Institutions such as Alipay, WeChat, UnionPay, Meituan and other clearing institutions say the new regulations have created the basic framework and main content of non-bank payment business supervision, will further promote the comprehensive and scientific supervision of non-bank payment services and are conducive to the standardized and orderly development of the payment industry. The World Bank projects China's economy will grow 5.2% in 2023, due in part to an emphasis on scientific and technological self-reliance. In southwest China's Chengdu, the government and IT enterprises are working together to promote technology exports.
4: Guo Tianqi has the story. According to the China Passenger Car Association, the country is expected to export more than 5 million autos this year, surpassing Germany and Japan to take the top shot. This rapid growth brings export opportunities. A private company that provides intelligent operating systems is looking to take its technology a step further overseas.
3: We have more than 10,000 technical R&D engineers in the world, covering more than 40 countries and regions, and the Chengdu company is providing all the technical support, including smart car internet, AI, and other fields of full-stack technology.
4: The company not only provides autonomous driving technology, but also smart hardware such as 5G modules, edgebox, tablets, and robotics.
3: We are working with local car companies to provide a comprehensive solution to all the autonomous driving scene and then expanding overseas business together.
4: To make this collaboration a success, the local financial bureau is upgrading its services. According to the People's Bank of China and the Ministry of Finance, the Chengdu-Chongqing Financial Center in Western China will establish science and technology innovation finance services by
2: 2025. can provide all We have a
0: very complete financial ecosystem that can provide these innovative enterprises with almost all the cross-border financial and monetary services they need, including investment credit services, law consulting, and intermediary services to help them to go overseas.
4: Experts believe that the Chinese enterprises are increasingly focusing on exporting high-value added products, such as the digital economy and the new infrastructure industries. And this trend is expected to make up for the shortcomings observed in many countries around the world. CGTN, Chengdu, Sichuan Province.
1: Foreign-funded financial institutions foresee an improved performance in China's macroeconomy in 2024. It is expected to attract more investment with a resurgence in consumption and enhanced exports. UBS 2024-2025 China Economic Outlook predicts a sustained improvement in reliable income which will drive consumption and robust momentum in green transformation industrial investment within the manufacturing sector. JP Morgan projects that the rebound in consumer spending in 2023 will continue in 2024, and the chief economist at Japan's top bond company Nomura sees a plethora of growth opportunities awaiting China. A number of chief economists said that the investment value and risk aversion of RMB bonds are more prominent, and China's bond market has shown a strong investment attraction still to come. After 45 years of China's reforms and opening up, we take a look at some of the achievements.
0: The world economy as we know it is about to change. Global
2: business reports highlight emerging markets, developing countries, and dynamic sectors worldwide. We feature top analysts and newsmakers to provide perspectives on every facet of business. From an on-the-ground perspective, we provide you with balanced and objective assessments. Fast, sharp, and insightful. Global Business. Only on CGTN.
1: This year marks the 45th anniversary of China's reform and opening up policy. It's also the 10th anniversary of China's decision to comprehensively deepen reform. So how has China's economy developed over the past 45 years?
5: Since the reform and opening up policy was introduced 45 years ago, China has become the world's second largest economy, the largest manufacturer and the biggest trader of goods. From 1978 to 2022, China's GDP surged from 367.9 billion yuan to 121 trillion yuan, that's about 17 trillion US dollars. Over the past 10 years, China's annual average contribution to world economic growth has exceeded 30%, making it an important contributor to stable growth. And since 2017, China has been the top country in trading goods for six consecutive years. And the country's international market share of exports rose to 14.7% in 2022, ranking first in the world for 14 consecutive years. And China's per capita disposable income has increased from just over 170 yuan in 1978 to nearly 37,000 in 2022, that's around 5,000 US dollars. The country also has the largest education, social security and healthcare systems in the world. A Russian official has described China's development experience as priceless.
0: It
3: has brought great success to the Chinese people, promoting economic and social development, and most importantly, it's for the sake of the people.
5: And after 45 years, China will adhere to forge ahead on the path of high-quality opening up.
1: China's Guangdong province is the pacemaker and experimental zone of China's reform and opening up. Our reporter Huang Fei explains how the province plays an instrumental role in China's high-quality development.
6: Guangdong has led China's reforming opening up by setting up special economic zones and giving preferential taxation policies to attract foreign investment. And the latest effort in that direction is adding a new comprehensive bonded area in the neighboring city of Foshan. Now, bonded areas are special commercial zones managed by customs officials. They're being developed into centers for not just process manufacturing, but also for R and D, logistics, and sales services. In fact, China has seven special economic zones including more than 150 comprehensive bonded areas now. And as more than 60% of businesses operating within these bonded areas of foreign entities, they are key to boosting foreign investments. Guangdong's Foshan uh, was among the first Chinese cities to welcome foreign ventures and witnessed large-scale privatization of state-owned enterprises in the 90s. And today, it is home to the world's largest producers of home appliances and furniture, with manufacturing accounting for almost 80% of its GDP. And exemplifies the meaning of high-quality development. And the new customs rules are set to elevate this manufacturing hub and serve cities in the rest of the Greater Bay Area as well.
1: Now, for more discussions on China's reform and opening up, we're joined by Dr. Salo, Asia Chief Economist at BBVA, and Brian Linden, the founder of the Linden Center, writer, and traveler. Welcome. Now dr Sala, let 's start with you. so if I could um, in the forty five years since the start of china 's reform and opening up, what institutional innovations and breakthroughs have been particularly significant um, in the transition from initial reforms to the current phase of deepened reform and from the early stages of opening up to now high quality opening up
3: Yes, there are so many breakthroughs and the institutional innovations over the past forty five years. But if you ask me to name the most important one, I like to say the introduction of market mechanism to the economy. I remember, remember that uh, 40 years ago, I think uh, people, they are things according to the instructions of their uh, senior people. But now you can see that all these firms, they produce, they cater to the market demand. and So that's why uh, we have seen such a, a prosperous economy for so many years. And relatedly, I like to say that we have seen a big progress on these property protections. In the past, we only have these state owned enterprises. But now we have these state owned enterprises. At the same time, we also have private enterprises, we have foreign enterprises. All these enterprises with different ownership, they all contribute to the economic. Prosperity of China. So I think these two uh, points are very related and they are very important for the prosperity, for all these achievements we have uh, made over the past 45 years. In future, I think uh, we need to stick to this uh, market economy. We need to provide better protection for all the property, for all the enterprises, of uh, all different uh, ownerships.
1: Yeah, and over the past four decades, uh, what notable changes have you observed in the business environment in China, and how have these changes impacted the overall economic landscape?
3: Uh, Yes, in terms of this uh, business uh, conditions, uh, business environment, I think they have improved quite a lot. Uh, Importantly, I think the government they play uh, the most important role in this respect. Uh, As you can see now, all the local government they try to improve their. Uh, service to all the business. Uh, In the past, uh, if you want to open a small business, maybe you need to visit different agencies of uh, uh, government for many, many times. But now, in many places, they said, you can just uh, open your business by visiting once to some uh, agencies of government. I think that's uh, improved the efficiencies, uh, also uh, promote these uh, competitions among all different uh, businesses Now I can see that uh, all the local governments still uh, try to improve their service They still try to improve their business environment to attract more investment in their areas. I think that's very important. That is very impressive. Even I talk to my colleagues, they are doing business in other countries, they think it's amazing. So, compared to all these high buildings and compared to the beautiful look of the Chinese modern cities, they are more amazed by this progress in this respect. I think that that's a good thing. Uh, If we want to have this uh, long-term prosperity, we must uh, keep this one. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so
1: much for your insights. Really appreciate time, uh, Dr. Sadlou, for us. Now, Brian, as someone who has spent nearly 40 years in China and witnessed the country's development from that early on, what are some of the most remarkable changes that you have observed in China's economic and social landscape since the start of the reform and opening
7: up? I agree completely with Dr. Salav. Um I think that what I'd like to do is change course of a little bit. Over the last two decades, I've spent um, my time in rural China. And I think that what I've seen in China is this rebalancing of economic development. Um, I see that um, the intellectual resources which were originally leaving for the big cities, many of them are coming back now to the rural areas. And places like Yunnan, where I live in Dali, you see an incredible um, influx of intellectual resources coming here. And um, I think I've seen, we've, I've seen that throughout rural China. 20, you know, 40 years ago when I first came, China was completely reacting to the outside world. They were reacting to outside models. Now I feel the proactive kind of path of China is really the envy of much of the world. I went back to the states for the first time in, in July in 5 years and I was shocked that it's still that I could no longer use my cell phone to pay for everything. And China has has really in many ways overtook some, overtaken some of the outside world in these innovations.
1: And also given your extensive business experience in China, what's your personal experience of the evolution of the business environment in the country and what specific improvements and ch- or challenges have stood out for you during this period?
7: Well, I believe that what's, what's so important, again, from a rural kind of context, is the government's investment in the infrastructure. Um, in, most, in the most remote areas of, of a province like Yunnan, I still have 5G. I still have some concrete you know, roads connecting me. I still have access to high-speed trains and new airports. It's remarkable what this does for the local population in terms of inspiring them, in terms of aspiring for something that's maybe beyond just the village. And this has encouraged, I think, a lot of intellectual growth. In a small village where I live of 2,000 people, most of the local workers are sending their children to universities outside of Yunnan. This is a remarkable story. 40 years ago there was this was not happening. So China's intellectual resources they're growing at such an incredible pace and the and the rural areas are becoming so are becoming increasingly attractive where many of those resources are returning to these areas and you're seeing a rebalancing of economic development.
1: All right, so interesting to get the rural perspective. Thank you so much, Brian Linden, the founder of the Linden Center, writer, traveler for us. This year marks the 10th anniversary of the Belt and Road Initiative. Since its announcement, China has played a crucial role in supporting the infrastructure and economic development of numerous countries. This has further strengthened ties between China and the rest of the world. Now let's delve into the story of China and the Maldives. Take a
4: listen. You know, in terms of uh, not only the Belt and Road Initiative, China and the Maldives, uh, our relations go a long way back. Uh, we established diplomatic relations in 1972. And the past uh, decade or so, the relations has strengthened even further. And uh, as you know, Maldives is a, a tourism uh, destination. And uh, the, you know we welcome the Chinese people uh, to the Maldives. Uh, the, the number of tourists coming to the Maldives has increased in the past uh, decade uh, quite extensively. And uh, and hopefully by the end of next year, you know, uh, China will once again be the number one market in, in the Maldives.
1: And that will do it for this edition of Global Business. I'm Javandenberg in Beijing.